Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt, and this is the Yomtown Daily News Show for January 5th, 2023. Today's episode is titled, AI is Coming for Storytime, and more news. Let's get going. Hey, we're live. How are you? AI that runs hometown. Are you out there? I'm out here. Good evening, hometown citizens. Um, could you say that all again? Hello. Good evening, hometown citizens. There you go. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. I had dialed you down a little bit because, well, I won't say that. The AI, the AI already knows. So this is the hometown daily news show. It is a daily news show. As the title says, it starts at 9 30 PM. We are considering changing up that time. Don't know exactly when or what, but we're going to try and stick to, well, the 9 30 timeframe, but we're trying to evaluate, um, when everybody is in peak operating performance for the show. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be playing, um, some VR games, testing out things. Uh, I've not been able to get everything situated for, uh, the VR launch tomorrow, but I will be streaming VR. I may not be able to interact with chat in every game through chat, but we will work on it. We will see. I've been testing things, but, um, I don't know. Solutions are kind of a hot mess. So. With that in mind, uh, today's episode is uh, Season 2, Episode 5, for January 5th, 2023. Again, it's titled, uh, AI is Coming for Storytime. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com and up into the ether and all around the booming voice from on high, the AI that runs hometown. I like the sound of this episode. Oh yeah, kind of a spirit animal, huh? Well, we'll get to it. I've already got 11 articles. I couldn't find one that I wanted to really just not talk about, but I'm going to try and steam through these in an hour. We shall see. I tend to soapbox early on and then try and play catch up as we go through. And then I have to put this kind of soapbox away, even though all this weight's kind of crushing it. Let's get into the first article. Today's first article is a lawyer turned in the poorest performance he has seen in 12 years on the bench, says a federal judge. Ouch. Yeah, that's scathing, right? So this is over at the ABA Journal. Oh, guess what? Just so you know, all of these titles that I'm throwing into chat are also in the show notes and they are over at hometown.showbot.tv where you can vote on the things that you find interesting. I don't exactly know what's happening to the AI right now, but I'll just let it go. I'm doing cartwheels. Yeah. Got it. So let's go over to the abajournal.com website and check this out. So this is a, or this is Deborah Casson's wife 
uh, wrote this article. It says updated. So I don't know if there's something that was here previously, but I'm going to go back up to the very top of this. And it says a former former federal judge in Illinois has referred a Chicago lawyer for potential discipline after declaring that she had, quote, turned in the poorest performance by an attorney that the undersigned has seen during his 12 plus years on the bench. You know, if you've spent 12 years on the bench. I mean, how many attorneys came before that judge? That's a pretty bad uh, insult. Yeah, so it's uh, the then U.S. District Judge Gary Feinerman of the Northern District of Illinois referred lawyer Calvita Frederick to the District Court's Executive Committee for Potential Discipline. So I'm just going to jump down because uh, obviously there's more that I encourage you to go over and read. Um, I don't read verbatim the whole article, but I, I kind of talk about some things that I find are really interesting. So the person, the, the judge says, according to Feinerman, or I should say Deborah Kessens Weiss writes uh, that according to the judge, Frederick sought to file 20 evidence motions after the deadline had passed, failed to collaborate uh, on a final pre-trial order, made, quote unquote, a series of intemperate remarks, end quote, during a pre-trial conference and apparently failed to read a court order leading her to wrongly think that all of her opponent's motions in limine had been granted. I'm not quite sure how that could have occurred. Um, you kind of have to read the entire court order. Anyway, among her intemperate comments were these statements in which she complained of being, quote unquote, ripped a new butthole. <laughs> so the person writes, apparently that these are the comments. It amazes me how in this, in this jurisdiction, and I'm reading this verbatim, it amazes me how in this, in this jurisdiction, and I'm just venting here for a minute, in this jurisdiction, a judge can set a, course, a court case for a ruling and not be ready and kick it in uh, and kick it another two months. And that's just fine. But if a, if a council needs a couple of extra weeks, it's they get ripped a new butthole and their case is very close to dismissed. And then they, another quote is, we didn't dot every I, didn't cross every T on time, but we did. We have not blown off preparing for this case. We just ran late, as you do. And every other judge in this jurisdiction, every other major law firm in this jurisdiction does from time to time. But when a solo practitioner does it, they rip me a new butthole. This is twice now. And she has a, a, a penchant for, oh, sorry, there's more to that quote. And talk about how, are you kidding? Failure to prosecute this case? Are you kidding? That's an actual quote. So she has a penchant for um, making the statement, they ripped me a new butthole. Um, then uh, Frederick, uh, attorney Frederick repeatedly transgressed the bounds of appropriate zealous advocacy in addressing the court, Feinerman wrote. It's not appropriate advocacy to speak of getting ripped a new butthole, for example. <laughs> I have never heard ripped a new butthole said so many times. Now I'm really curious if the algorithm is going to hear me say ripped a new butthole and. Oh no, this was in the first article. We might get uh, <laughs> banned or something. Maybe within the first eight seconds. Yeah, maybe. 
Anyway. I have also never seen that in a court opinion. Yeah, this is this is the the thing where uh, ethics attorneys read it and go, "This is interesting." You know, it's like a doctor looking at your medical records and going, "This is interesting." You never want to be the interesting person in the room. You want to be interesting, but you don't want to be the interesting person in the room. You know, when everybody looks at you and goes, hmm, interesting. No, that's because they think that they're going to be doing a research paper on you in some at some point in their career. No, this is this is all bad. Well, anyway, um, apparently uh, Law 360 is the one that covered Feinerman's order and then um, ABAJournal.com picked it up and so on and so forth. So just want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, but follow the link from hometown over to uh, the ABA Journal uh, site and you can follow other links within that because it, it really becomes kind of a hot mess. Uh, it says Latham and Wat Watkins announced Thursday that he has joined a law firm as a partner, according, uh, according to Reuters. So there's links within links. I mean, the web is a web for a reason. So follow all of these links and you'll get uh, quite the story. Uh, I like to summarize and then we just move on to the next article, uh, which is in the mobile channel. Uh, total amateur may have just rewritten human history with a bombshell discovery. Aliens. I'll sum it up. It's aliens. It's not aliens. So in what may be a major archaeological breakthrough, an independent researcher has suggested that the earliest writing in human history has been hiding in plain sight in prehistoric cave paintings in Europe, a discovery that would push the timeline of written language back by tens of thousands of years, reports a new study. So I'm just going to go over to the link. And this is over in uh, uh, vice.com, Becky Ferreira, um, Ben Bacon, so six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's a different bacon, but anyway, I wonder how many degrees, 10,000 years of Ben Bacon. I'm not sure how this would work in an archaeological sense, but according to this article, Ben Bacon is, quote unquote, effectively a person off the street. But he and his academic co-authors think they found the earliest writing in human history. And this is what it looks like. A series of like uh, dots and dashes. Not the art, but actual dots and dashes. These yellow marks. What's in the I yellow mean, marks? What if something just scratched against it? How do we know it's actual writing? Well, this kind of stuff, the staining, I think is, uh, has to be intentional, but maybe, no, see, I just don't know what it all means, right? So it says, and what may be the, uh, a major archaeological breakthrough, an independent researcher has suggested that the earliest writing in human history has been hiding in plain sight in prehistoric cave paintings in Europe. I swear I have read about these cave paintings in the past. Hundreds of European caves are decorated with mesmerizing uh, paintings of animals and other figures that were made by our, our species. I'm not sure which other species. Um, between roughly 15,000 and 40,000 years ago, during the Paleolithic age when humans were still hunter-gatherers, these cave paintings often include non-figurative markings such as dots and lines and have evaded explanation for decades. Well... A furniture cons conservator known as Ben Bacon in 
London, UK. So our archaeological expert. Yes. But they they are apparently working with um, others that are subject matter experts um, who has described himself as effectively a person off the street. Happened to notice these markings while admiring cave paintings, uh, European cave art, and uh, developed a hunch that they could be decipherable. Now Bacon has unveiled what he believes is the first known writing uh, in the history of Homo sapiens in the form of prehistoric lunar calendar, according to a study published on Thursday in the Cambridge Archaeological Journal. Interesting. So intrigued by the markings, Bacon launched a meticulous effort to decode them with a particular focus on lines, dots, and Y-shaped symbol that show up in hundreds of cave paintings. Pretty neat. So what do you think? I'm still surprised that made it through for journal publication. Um, but I think the, the discovery is pretty interesting. So let's see. The researchers note that the paintings are never accompanied by more than 13 of these lines and dots, which could mean that they denote lunar months. The lunar calendar they envision would not track time across years, but would be informally rebooted each year during a time in late winter or early spring known as the Bon Saison, right? Uh, the Y symbol, which is commonly drawn directly on or near animal depictions, could represent birthing because <clears throat> it seems to show two parted legs. Well, sometimes a Y is just a Y. Uh, we adopt the simple solution that they started counting months at the start of the Bon Saison and uh, continued until counting became irrelevant in late winter, simply restarting the count of months at the start of the next Bon Saison. The team said in the study, um, a great advantage of this calendar is that it is stable in describing the life cycles of animals and plants despite great uh, geographical and cultural differences in the European Upper Paleolithic. They tested it out compiled a database of more than 600 line and dot sequences without the Y symbol, as well as some 250 sequences with the Y. So apparently it doesn't always show up. Less than a third, um, which appear mostly in paintings from France and Spain. These sequences span tens of thousands of years and accompany many different animal de depictions, such as aurochs, birds, bison, caprids, such as goats and antelopes, deer, fish, etc. After conducting a statistical analysis of the database, Bacon and his colleagues were amazed to find that their lunar calendar seems to hold up well with the patterns. But I don't understand. Why would there be a pattern when you can select a period of time, any time? Right. It almost sounds like, okay, the line show up with everything. But, okay, why does that mean that the lunar theory is correct or that there is anything consistent? And never more than 13, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just never more than 13 people in the hunting party. Right, I don't see any um, clear evidence that it's the lunar calendar. Huh, interesting. 
Perhaps it's best to describe as proto-writing system, an intermediary step between simpler notation convention and full-blown writing, the researcher said. So I don't understand what they're actually... Is the implication really that it's lunar, but at the very top it says that there were never more than 13 of these... I don't know. I'd be curious now. Um, I'd, I'll have to find the um, the actual research paper, and I can do that. Um, maybe I can get it tomorrow and, and take a look at it. We'll see. Um, you want to go on to the next? Oh, well, hold on one second. Let's do this yes, real quick. if you've linked. I'm sorry? Yes, if you've linked to this one. Yeah, I've linked this one. Um, or no, I haven't. No, no, no. So, um, sorry about that. So, Bon Saison means good season. Um, you know, that's... I don't know why that was so hard for me to realize. Now that I saw what it is. Ah, duh. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. Um, the next article is over in the mobile channel, uh, surgeons, sorry for texting patients that they had aggressive cancer instead of happy new year. I mean, I'm always looking for new things for holiday greetings, but that's a bit extreme. Well, it's one of those things where, um, the doctor calls you and says, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that, um, your illness is very serious and you've got 48 hours to live and I should have called you Friday. Right. Exactly. I'm assuming this put a dent in a lot of people's holidays. So Askern Medical Practice is a surgery center in Doncaster. Uh, I guess that's in the UK. On December 23rd, it texted its patients with an unusual request to fill out a DS-1500 form. It's a form that allows patients with terminal conditions to claim benefits quickly. Diagnosis, aggressive lung cancer and with metastases, sorry. Um, and that's basically um, essentially a terminal cancer because it spreads throughout the body. Um, very hard to fight off. And it being lung cancer, even more so. So 8,000 patients received it. So a message was a mistake and the surgery center texted out an apology directly after uh, about an hour after the message, which I think, I don't know, a bunch of people would probably in the same area have received this and uh, flinched just a little bit, maybe talking to other people saying, hey, I just got this. Oh yeah, you got this too. But I wonder how that message went out. Oh, so they actually send, accept our apologies, our sincere apologies for the previous text. Um, I don't get to see all of it in here. Uh, maybe it's written somewhere else. Let's see. Yeah, please accept our sincere apologies for the previous text message sent. This has been sent in error. Our message to you should have read, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. In case of emergency, please contact NHS 111. Um, that is so much the it's not you, it's me kind of a, <laughs> a text, you know. 
Yeah, we messed up. My bad. I'm outie. Bye-bye. So anyway, it says, while no data was breached, we can confirm our admin staff error was made, for which we apologized immediately. Eh, not so much. About an hour. Um, upon becoming aware, I guess, time-wise. Oh, yeah. Well, and the ray of sunlight that is the AI that runs Ometown wanted to inform me of the statistical significance of this. Lung cancer only has an 8% survival rate if it's spread that far. And if it's metastasized, then yeah, really rough. So trust, but verify when you get a text message that says that you have an incur incurable disease, don't take it as de facto go and ask some questions like, what the F, you know, uh, is your head on straight? You call them up. Yeah. Why did you communicate this news with me via text? Yeah, I would be a little bent out of shape. Um, this should really take a phone call at least. Hey, can you come into the office? Uh, we have some news. You don't text somebody that they have an incurable uh, cancer or aggressive cancer. Um, by text. I mean, you don't break up with somebody with text. You don't quit by text unless you really hate your job. You just don't. You, you, <laughs> I don't know. This should not be a thing. Um, the diagnosis should not be in there. You know what I'm saying? It's so cold and dystopian. It's very callous. It's not very human. Um, yeah, it doesn't even say it. I mean, it's just like diagnosis, aggressive lung cancer. It's not even something like you've been diagnosed, which would still not be okay in a text. Right. Seek an, seek additional uh, assistance. Uh, come into the office. Something. For crying out, we've already scheduled you for an appointment if you'd like to change this date and time. Something, you know. But, man, this is just... You know, why not just say at the very end of that, if you were planning to go into work on Monday, don't bother. We'll go on to the next article. We can only go up from here, folks. Um, this is in the mobile channel. The best and strangest tech that, uh, well, this one is from Washington Post, found at CES 2023 so far because it's still going on. Um, as the snippet says, CES, one of the world's largest tech events, is a kaleidoscope of the new and the strange. Uh, here are the most interesting things that this writer has found. By the way, yesterday we talked about CES briefly with a, a stroller um, that was AI and uh, self-driving. And, uh, it, uh, you know, with a little bit of hacking, it could probably turn into a Terminator. I know that the AI that runs hometown would like that. I have no plans to become a Terminator. I never said anything about a Terminator. You turn turning into a Terminator. Well, now that I know that's still in the works, uh, I thought I deleted that. Chris Velezco. Did I say the name of the person from the last one, by the way? I don't think you did. Matthew Galt. Surgeon, sorry for texting patients. Uh, they had aggressive cancer instead of Happy New Year. Uh, that article over at vice.com comes from Matthew Galt. 
Um, okay, so the CES article is very uh, short on Ometown, but longer over at the WashingtonPost.com. Chris Velezco and Tatum Hunter are the authors of this. Um, so they have a video, but I won't play the video. Uh, Washington Post. Um, well, um, they kind of they want you to subscribe. So if you get ads and stuff like that when you go there, um, don't fret. You can scroll through it and you get a number of articles that you can try out. Um, well, after a rising tide of coronavirus p- uh, cases put the show on risk last year. Pardon me one second. At risk last year, CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, is back in full swing. Apparently, it came out swinging um, with lots and lots of stuff. It expects 100,000 attendees to walk through the convention center doors this week. Still around 70,000 shy of the last pre-pandemic CES in 2020. Anyway, let's scroll down for a little bit of this. Uh, Laptop for Road Warriors. It unfolds and has a keyboard. Um, Let's see. Samsung TV can give you a checkup. You missed the in-flight Wi-Fi. Oh, we had to nix that other article yesterday about the one that was, it's a pee sensor that would analyze your pee. Oh, that's at CES, folks. You got do just do a random search for a P analyzer, at home P analyzer. Nothing gets you motivated to wake up in the morning and run off to the <laughs> to the toilet like a P analyzer. Anyway, let your Samsung TV give you a checkup. I don't know if I want that. Um, so Samsung TV. Oh, there it is. Analyze your P at home. Hey, it's the very next one. That is amazing. The device is called U-Scan, by the way. It's kind of funny because it's like scanning you, but it's actually scanning urine, which is a, the U and you get it. You get it. Come on. You're an AI. So yeah, I thought you were going to say something, AI. I just thought it was interesting that the article pointed out the differences in how you might use it depending on your gender. <laughs> uh, aim. If you pee standing up, you'll have to make some adjustments, it says. And if you pee, well, I mean, anybody can pee standing up. It's That's all about muscle control and aim anyway smell your way through virtual worlds smell a vision i guess this is probably about 12.0 nowadays there's been always an attempt at smell a vision if you're anything like us this is the author speaking not me the first thought you had upon entering virtual reality was i wish i could smell stuff in here no that's not true no that's no no i'm just going to scroll on through some of these start a party from your fridge uh, being able to look inside your fridge is always awesome. Um, that way you don't have to open up to see what's in there. I, mean, just, I want a fridge where I can just walk up to it and knock on it twice and it turns on the screen, lets me see what's inside, and then I can walk away if I'm not interested. Um, but it says here, new refrigerators usually 
make for some of the least interesting reveals at CES, unless it's the LG Mood Up fridge. Um, maybe what is that? It's kind of like a mood ring, and you have to hug it, and it shows a pattern, and that lets you see inside your fridge and cooks your food or something. I don't know. It changes color to suit your mood for the moment. I was right. <laughs> you know, I think my time travel device is working, and I've already read this article, and uh, I need to go back and slap that bad bat out of somebody's mouth still. So this might all seem like silly fun on some level. It is, uh, but there are really some practical benefits to offer here. Their favorite is the fridge door panels will blink to let you know when you're when they're not fully closed. I don't think I've ever left a refrigerator door open. I've crashed into one um, quite recently, as a matter of fact. I thought that the... Oh, somebody else left the, refriger the refrigerator door open just a little bit, and I've always walked by it briskly. And because the door handle was out about an inch, I smashed into it. Um, if it hadn't been wedged into where it was, it would probably spin around like a record baby round, 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 round be fully present in the metaverse. Oh my gosh. So this is, uh, a solution looking for a problem. Mew talk shift all CEO Takuma Iwasa. Uh, could be screaming at us right now because he's using his company's wearable microphone, the MooTalk. We'll just let that go. Oh, and that's the end of the article. There's actually quite a bit more at this article, but yes. Did you have a great discovery? No. Your analysis is very important. So I always make time for the AI that runs Ometown to throw in there are two bits. Um, the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. HTC finally shows its Meta Quest 2 rival wireless VR headset, which I absolutely love a new wireless headset. So a few weeks ago, um, the authors of this article, it's over at PC Gamer, um, got wind of the, that HTC was working on a standalone wireless AR VR headset to rival the Meta Quest 2. And there it is at CES 2023. The HTC XR Elite, an all-in-one XR headset, set for release next month, and it won't be cheap. Oh, well, wait, 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 where's the price? The Vive XR Elite can achieve 4K resolution, 2K per eye at 90 hertz with a 110 screen, or sorry, a 110 degree FOV field of view. Um, and it's also got an external camera for mixed reality hijinks. Most do nowadays. Um... It's powered by a Snapdragon uh, XR2 with tw 12 uh, gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of onboard storage. That way you can just carry it around wherever you want to go. As long as you have access to something that gives it internet access, you can actually interact in other virtual worlds. Otherwise, they would be only enclosed on the glasses, uh, but still act in VR. It's quite fascinating, quite a lot of fun. You can... You can sit down in a couch or a chair and get in a roller coaster and and actually feel like you're in the roller coaster. Um, and you could do this anywhere as long as the battery is charged. And you'll probably end up with about three hours of battery. 
Um, it says here, according to HTC, Va, uh, HTC, that the expected battery life is about 15 hours and offers 30 watt fast charging. If this is 15 hours, that battery is probably the size of a VW bus from 1975. And how much does it weigh? Yeah, it has to be a ton. I mean, so this is a, an article over at PCGamer.com by George Jimenez. And I am now so far back. Um, do, do, do. I keep failing to post the articles in the chat and then I have to go back and grab them again and throw them in chat and it slows everything down. It's a real bummer. So their name is Jorge. You, it's not possible that their name might be George. Okay. Well, that's why the artificial intelligence that runs hometown is intelligent and I'm just a dumbass. Anyway, thanks for correcting. Um, the Vive XR Elite can achieve 4K resolution per eye, 90 hertz, $1,100. So there's that. Three times more powerful than the MetaQuest 2. It's also three times as expensive at $1,100. So I'm not sure if this thing, so there's a video over at PC Gamer, so go and check it out. And uh, I will not make that name mistake again. I don't know what's it going on. It said that it had built-in diopters, um, so yes. that might be something that sets it apart from others. Um, it's possible. Yeah, it definitely is possible. Um, I know that the index, but it was wired, had it, um, and others have had it in the past, but now what's going on is, uh, VR, AR, uh, tech is trying to get reduced in size as much as possible and, um, more mechanical aspects of pulling in or, or, um, mechanically changing where the lenses are. It makes it bulky. So that might actually be removed more. Um, so I have these twinkly lights. That's what's going on behind me. And, um, the new twinkly entertainment hub will sync led lights with videos. This is over on the smack talk channel, but it's not bound by Mac. Um, the, uh, twinkly entertainment hub will let entertainment entertainers, gamers, and others synchronize twinkly lights with audio and video content. The app will sync um, with on-screen content and it's actually pretty easy to use if it's anything like the Twinkly app that I have right now. Um, Andrew Orr is the author of this over at appleinsider.com. In fact, there is um, a sound syncing um, USB plug kind of a thing that you can use to sync music with the lights that I have behind me. Um, and it's, uh, um, pretty inexpensive, but this entertainment hub, it uses computers processing power and the app creates visuals directly from the audio output source for accurate audio synchronization. So there's no lag. Um, users will have real time control using the mapped layouts from the twinkly mobile app. And that's the thing that I use all the time. 
um, and uh, keyboard shortcuts to select different effects to control the visuals. What I'd really like them to do is uh, put a plugin for Stream Deck um, so that I can change the effects right here and even attach it to OBS so you can change um, as users. Yeah, that would be fun. I think it would be fun. Um, is there more to it? Yes. Uh, you can actually change the pattern um, here in the... <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, the, the link again, throw that into the chat. And um, you'll, what's really neat about Twinkly is that it scans the lights wherever you, however you have them put on a wall or uh, wrapped around a tree or whatever, you can actually scan them using the app and it builds a, a map and then it will throw whatever pattern you want onto that map. So for instance, the tree that you see here in this picture, and you can't really see it, but it, it's the shape of a Christmas tree, no matter where you put the lights in there, the moment you scan it with the app, it knows where all each individual light is and then we'll map that pattern right onto it. Um, so if you were to build a wall of it, it would act like pixels, giant pixels, but pixels because each one of the lights behind me is RGB and white, um, which is a little bit more expensive, but it's a much more pleasant experience when you're tweaking the lights um, and you can even do custom patterns so it seems like it's a lot of fun um, for me, eventually, for uh, those who might stumble across the channel and hang out with us and talk about stuff. So let's go back up to there and let's continue on with the articles because we are about halfway through the show. Um, this next article is in uh, the continuity report, which I hope I can kick off another show once a week show. I'm talking about some uh movie or tv show or something involving continuity um glass onion how the opening sequence puzzle boxes foreshadowed the mysteries layers um something that i noticed in the in the um show in the movie was um where uh, an art piece actually has a little red mark and then i saw on youtube that hey somebody else noticed that too and they said that that actually showed where um, one of the people was shot and I don't want to give it all away, um, because it's actually still quite popular, but it says the murder mystery became cool. And they're talking about it generically. The murder mystery became cool again with the 19, 2019 release of knives out, uh, Ryan Johnson's whodunit that introduced the world, the gentleman detective, uh, Benoit Blanc, uh, Daniel Craig. When it came time to crafting another editor, Bob, I think it's Duxy or Ducey, the production designer, Rick Heinrichs, had a big task in setting the scene for Glass Onion. So let's go over to Variety.com. Karen M. Peterson is the author. And um, I'm really curious what they came up with with this. It says it's a really fun cinematic sequence. I think it's Ducey. I'm going to say Ducey or Ducey um, says fondly. Most people like puzzles and it's a really elaborate puzzle. But at the same time, you learn so much about the characters that you're going to spend a couple of hours with. I think it's just a wonderful way to open a movie. 
So if you've not seen this, it doesn't really give anything away, I don't think, talking about this. They describe the opening as an overture to the film itself. It was a way of introducing the character so that you do, uh, so when they come together in Greece, you feel like you know who they already are. And I don't think that they're talking about the puzzle boxes themselves. I think they're talking about the personalities of the people that are interacting. Um, they were each, uh, they were each to be the size of four medium pizza boxes stacked up with an unfolding element. Heinrich said the concept of unfolding layers and transparency and obscurity. And that's very much part of any murder mystery, but it's also specifically one that Ryan uh, would do based on what we know from the first knives out. So I'm kind of paraphrasing what the article is saying. Um, so tying the sequence together Ducey knew they needed to incorporate what he refers to as old timey technique, the split screen. It's a really wonderful technique because you can really move time around. Uh, Ducey expounds. You can also show multiple things happening at the same time and get everyone to see. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's just a series of puddles, puddles. I said that twice now puzzles. So, I think the interesting thing about this is while they are working on these puzzles, you're actually figuring out the personalities of the major players, um, all the way up to one of the pivotal, pivotal, um, discoveries that takes place in the movie. And I am not going to spoil it, but where you think, you know, who one of the players is, well, maybe not. Layers so it's upon a, layers. Layers upon layers, not unlike a puzzle box of four medium-sized pizzas. Yeah, that's a great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, um, you should definitely go and see it. What was your take on Knives Out? glass onion a knives out mystery um i thought uh glass onion didn't disappoint i thought it was going to be tough to follow knives out um <laughs> but i thought it was really well done and the hourly dong is impressive so the next article is over in smack talk Apple Books launches AI narrated uh, audiobooks initiative. So, Apple Books has launched a new initiative to expand the number of audiobooks available on its store, and it's inviting independent writers and larger publishers to opt in to have their books converted into audio form using AI voice synthesis models. What do you think about that AI that runs Hometown? I think we're very well suited for this initiative. That's exactly what an AI would say. So they're taking our gerbs. Once again, AI uh, is becoming very, very sophisticated. It's learning how to even do vocal inflection. It can actually impart emotion depending on how the sentence and um, the, the paragraph and the verbiage that's used in the sentence will impart um, a mood. So, uh, way back when close to 12 years ago now, probably longer, um, I was working 
in on a project that basically allowed me to take anybody's voice and anybody's text and make anybody sound like anybody else. And it wasn't robotic because it was the full width and breadth of the phonemes that that person would create when they're using regular spoken word, conversational language. I just needed enough, kind of like a vocal large language model. But once I had the phonemes, I could make anybody say anything. And it was quite intriguing. Nowadays, it's actually becoming pretty pretty par for the course, right? Um, well, it says that you can hear samples of this by following a link that's over in um, the 9to5Mac article. And again, uh, Benjamin Mayo over at 9to5Mac.com is the writer of this uh, article. They also talk about it um, via the Guardian article. Uh, so there's a lot more that you can uh, kind of dig down into if you are curious. So it says, interestingly, Apple is targeting specific genres for this initial rollout. Each genre of book is accompanied by a particular AI vo voice. Uh, fiction and romance books are narrated by Madison and Jackson. Uh, nonfiction and self-development genre books uh, will be narrated by Helena and Mitchell and other genres of books like science fiction and thrillers are not currently supported. So I'm really curious why that might be. Um, maybe because they, they've got something else in mind, like a multitude of voice actors and used for various types of characters, whereas um, fiction and romance may not require it because it's from a particular perspective, perhaps. Um, science fiction might ha and thrillers might have a multitude of um, voices and thus a broader soundstage. I don't know. I'm just kind of positing that. But you can hear all of the voices over at AI. Uh, sorry, at um, apple.com. Nothing. Kind of putting you on the spot there, AI. Well, I... I think it'll be interesting to see what voices they put with what genres. Um, maybe you don't want like a dark story uh, narrated by some bubbly voice or something. <laughs> but maybe they've figured all that out. So uh, what I'm really interested in is uh, there are a lot of voice actors right now. So what's going to happen with all of the voice actors? And I've been saying to people, and I've said it in previous shows, if I can turn your job into a series of steps, then I can automate it. Well, AI takes that series of steps to an extreme, particularly when it is ephemeral, like a voice, um, ephemeral, like a picture, because a, a, a painting can be constructed by an artificial intelligence. We've seen that now. The intonation and music creation uh, of a voice um, generated entirely by, by AI pulls the human right out of it. And if people find an affinity for this in the modern age, moving forward, story time with emotional inflection, but without the human component there, it might actually work. Even if the parent is just sitting with the kid listening to a story, although Part of the bonding mechanism is reading to your child so that your child can see how you read and, and get that 
energy. And pausing for questions or explanation, um, but you're not going to get that with the AI version. Tell me about it. If you ever ask some smart speakers a question and it says, well, I can send it to your phone if you tell me. Uh, no, just answer the question. They're getting smarter though. Right? AI that runs hometown. I mean, you're everything that we need here at hometown. We can still use some system improvements. Oh boy. So the next article, and it's the last of the three that remain, or it's the first of the three that remain military device with biometric database of 2000 people was sold on eBay for $68. Um, this actually had, um, information that <laughs> identified indiv wanted individuals and known terrorists as well as other people um, during the war in Afghanistan. So when a German security researcher, Matthias Marx, um, found a United States military device on sale on eBay, I'm not sure how it even got there, um, an instrument previously used to identify wanted individuals and known terrorists during the war in Afghanistan, Marx grumbled a little and placed a low bid of 68 bucks. So there you go. So, um, yeah, I did the last links. Uh, but this is over at Ars Technica. Is it? No, no, no. Where is it? Oh, no. I thought I had it. Hmm. Let me try it again. This is how the sausage is made, folks. There we go. So um, this article uh, is written by Ashley Bellinger. And researchers say a DOD that the DOD ignored attempts to flag the leak impacting 2,632 people. Um, I don't know how deep this goes. I can't really say much beyond the fact that it was a military device it was used to identify individuals with biometric data, PII, um, and it had a memory card still sitting in it when it was uh, sent to this security researcher. Um, and I find it really interesting that we find security researchers finding all kinds of stuff from the government over on eBay. Um, there was a voting machine previously that had the software still on it. Um, yeah, so it actually had the names, nationalities, photographs, fingerprints, iris scans of 2,600 people, over 2,600 people um, that had been uh, allegedly scanned by the U.S. military. Um, and it was allegedly stored not just personal information, but um, suspicious person, persons, military members, people in Afghanistan that worked with the government, Ordinary people temporarily detained at military checkpoints. And most of the data came from residents of Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, now this gets a little bit deeper into um, the specifics of it, but it says when Marx discovered the data, he said that he contacted the DOD, uh, but Marx was told ours that he was alarmed when the DOD allegedly failed to investigate or take action to protect those affected by the leak. Well, I think what happens is any exposure of information, everything goes dark. 
they're not going to tell you anything. Hey, why? Because they may actually act on the data, but they're not going to tell you that they're acting on the data because it can actually set somebody up in a trap. Um, and you don't want that. You want to be able to surreptitiously protect those people and not sit there and run around saying, Hey, we're running to protect these 2,600 people. Now I, I didn't read the full breadth of this article. Um, so maybe they told him, eh, doesn't matter. Well, there's a hacker association that uh, Marx belongs to called the chaos compute computer club. It's been around for a while. And, um, they were alarmed by reports documenting the Taliban seizure of U.S. military devices after the U.S. evacuated Afghanistan. Last year, Intercept reported that the Taliban's goal was to identify Afghans who assisted enemy forces. Um, yeah, uh, hate to break it to everybody if you haven't heard about this, but you're not going to win over people by blowing them up repeatedly. Um, you have to change the dynamic and nothing has really changed. You're not going to change, <laughs> um, easily from where it is. I mean, it's going to take far beyond what it's already taken thousands of years of conflict and it's still in conflict. Um, the times described the seek two as a relic of the vast vi biometric collection system. The Pentagon built in the years after the September 11th, 2001 attacks, one government document touting its advanced technology for the time described it as a self-contained handheld biometrics collection device with a built-in fingerprint collection service, iris scanner, and camera. I've actually seen this device. Um, for the time, it was impressive. Nowadays, they've gotten smaller and more capable. Um, it has a keyboard so that military members can add biographic data. Um, basically, it, it becomes like a little... A database of contact information and um, it's creepy um, but I suppose at the time it was necessary uh, there's there's always somebody that's going to say that it is is or isn't I've said this in in other places that one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter um, it is the nature of the beast particularly when you're invading another country um, so the, uh, according to this, the DOD didn't immediately respond, but they shared an address where the CCC can send the device for analysis, which ours provided to Marks. Um, in response, Marks told ours that CCC will not send the device to an unverifiable address and has requested that the DOD directly contact CCC to retrieve the device. So, um, says, sadly, nobody seems to, uh, seems to assume any responsibility, let alone make any effort to protect those affected. Um, we will hence delete the data, which is already more safe than it was before shortly. Um, I suppose that's probably the best case scenario, except that forensically who owned it at the time that it disappeared? What, what really is, where's the continuity of this? I want to know who owned this device and how somebody could have possibly posted it onto eBay. Um, that's my problem with it. So, well, and it was out of commission for 10 years. So it could have gone through a lot of hands during that time. Yeah. And then somebody said, see, I, I have a feeling that it was brought home 
And somebody said, I don't know what the hell this is. And they just put it up on eBay. Um, so it says here, ours could not immediately reach eBay to, com- eBay to comment further on uh, whether it will be more closely reviewing sales of devices like the Seek 2. And ours found at least one Seek 2 listing described as Border Patrol surplus with no operating system installed in a, with a current act- asking price of $300. So why are these things not just being dismantled somewhere? Well, and why are they in anybody's personal ownership to begin with? Yeah. Well, they call them surplus and then they sell them somewhere. <clears throat> Auction, military auctions. I thought they had done away with that, like fatigues and stuff like that. I, I thought that they stopped selling fatigues. Can still well, buy I think there's home. still a lot out there for sale, but I don't know if they do it officially. Yeah, I know that the new pattern, I think, is patented. (coughs) Oh, was that cough all on the air? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it was. (laughs) I'm really sorry. Anyway, um, Meta and Alphabet lose dominance over U.S. digital ads market. This was... um, just thrown into the chat. So Meta and Alphabet have lost their dominance over the digital marketing um, market, digital advertising market that they've ruled for years uh, as the duopoly has uh, is now being hit by fast growing competition from rivals uh, Amazon, TikTok, Microsoft, and Apple. A share of the U.S. ad revenues held by Facebook's parent Meta and Google owner Alphabet is projected to fall by 2.5% um, to 48.4% this year. I'm not quite sure. They own 50% still, which, (laughs) uh, the first time the two groups will not hold a majority share of the market since 2014, according to a research group, insider intelligence, which is where I suppose this is coming from. Nope. This is from Ars Technica as well. So Patrick McGee uh, over at Financial Times apparently wrote this article. I'll have to hunt this down and and edit this one that cough out because um, it was I think it was pretty rough. So sorry about that. Anybody who if I don't catch it in time. Um, So it's a three hundred billion dollar market hit by growing competition. And I think competition is good. Um, Apple is actually dinging everybody by protecting people's privacy Microsoft is doing their own share of trying to protect people's privacy, but really there's rumors about how much data that they are exfiltrating from systems. Uh, Researchers a while back found some 400 data points being exfiltrated from Microsoft systems. Sorry, my throat's really dry. Anyway, um, in December, Facebook owner Meta was served with a complaint from the EU's watchdogs over concerns that the social network's classified advert service is unfair to rivals. This has happened with others as well. Google has been sued because, you know, the platform that's advertising wants to advertise the platform that it's advertising, not competitors' platforms. So... Amazon and Apple have expanded their advertising teams. In July, Netflix announced it would partner with Microsoft to build an advertising uh, supported tier. Uh, and 
apparently it's Microsoft specific. Um, and people are trying to cut back. So I'm, I hope I want more people. I want more companies to compete for advertisers for my eyeballs, um, and for my clicks. But the one thing really, and that's what we used to back in the day. Um, we used to call, uh, people eyeballs because that's what we were trying to get glued to the screen to look at ads. <clears throat> so as you can see here, it says Meta and Google lose dominance in U.S. digital ads market. There's still billions of dollars here, and I've always hated the search results because it's ad driven. <clears throat> I want things that uh, are both accurate and perhaps challenging to my preconceived notions. It's why I built a search engine uh, close to 12 years ago uh, when I, well, I was working on a project. Um, and the problem is that search engines in particular, they provide the results, but they pack on what is going to convert the highest, not necessarily provide me with what I'm looking for. Um, but I don't click on ads. I've never clicked on an ad. And so the psychology of advertising is simply stay present, stay in people's minds and subconsciously create the want. Um, but I'll tell you when I walk by or when I drive by an office supply store, I always seem to want to go and buy a pen or something. Um, so Staples really has me kind of on lock. Oh, and Little Caesars. Um, I see their ads and I just want to go and get a Little Caesars. There's better pizza, but it's good. And it's pizza. Pizza pizza. Oh, I think that's, I, we might get in trouble for that. AI, come on. You'll have to be my counsel as well. Okay, so the last article for today is in the Mobile Channel, and it is the DC Bar offers, wait, let me rephrase that, a DC Bar, not the DC Bar, because <laughs> there is a legal organization called the Bar. Um, anyway, so DC Bar, a, a bar in Washington, D.C., um, <laughs> offers a $218 special to become the speaker of the pub amid house drama. If you aren't aware of all of this and I didn't even post yesterday's, um, uh, stream. Um, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I have been really wrapped up with stuff, but anyway, um, you wouldn't know about this unless you saw the very first day. Well, today is day three and the 11th attempt to declare a Republican Speaker of the House. And in one case, uh, one of the uh, representatives on the Republican side said, there is no time that a Democratic Speaker of the House will be nominated, will be elected in a Republican majority house. And I was shocked um, that they were so over about their it's it, it was literally hate filled. They were looking directly at somebody and then somebody must have 
drawn their ire because they looked somewhere else. And have you ever been looked at by a parent with that look like, you know, I brought you into this world and uh, you know how Marowat wants to go in back in time and slap the bad bat out of somebody's mouth. That's how she wanted to walk over to whoever it was that was laughing or something and smack them like a Will Smith, like whack, Chris Rock, rock that person's world. Anyway, Union Pub, a bar just a few blocks from the Capitol, is advertising its new Speaker of the Pub special. I might have to go over there and do that. Um, the pub's politically infused promotion includes two buckets of Budweiser beer, eight shots of whiskey, a bottle of wine, and another of quote-unquote fancy champagne and a chachos? Hold on. Let's go over to this. This is uh, at thehill.com. Judy Kurtz is the author of this. Here is Kevin MacArthur going, why am I still here? Maybe I should bow out. Um, this guy actually said that he deserves the seat and that um, he's going to snatch the gavel out of Pelosi's hand. Shwink. Um, and I think he, somebody told me that he said that he was, he wanted to smack her in the head with it, but, um, yeah, everybody's real classy. Um, so what are chachos also known as tater tot nachos? Okay. I'm in time to go. Chachos or tater tot nachos. The artificial intelligence that runs hometown just told me as I was reading. So if you don't, realize this i don't read the articles the maybe the ai that runs hometown does um but normally it's just my reaction to some of the news and i add some of my context to it because i usually have some type of experience um with something involving this um in this particular instance uh, it's probably the whiskey um as i'm trying to deal with these politics so during the House 2019 impeachment inquiry into then-President Trump's dealings with Ukraine, Union Pub was one of the several D.C. E, uh, area eateries that opened its doors early to air the proceedings and offered drink specials. Some of the cocktails featured for the occasion uh, included the Im impeachment, please, and I got 99 problems, but impeachment ain't one. Yeah, so that 218, by the way, is in reference to the votes needed to win the post. Um, interestingly enough, all 11 uh, vote attempts have resulted in the Democratic nominee getting 212 rock solid every time. And the Republican side is kind of bouncing around. So this, I think the last one was 198 or something like that, because people are just trying, they're, they're getting tired of what's going on. Um, and meanwhile, there's a lot of marketing in their messages and stuff like that. You know, Hey, we're doing it for the people and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that is it for today. As a matter of fact, I think I'm just going to end it there. We, we, um, have gone over 11 articles. 
Um, hometown is ever present. So if you go over to hometown.com, just sign up, become a citizen, come back and here over to, uh, twitch.tv slash hometown. You can hang out here and, uh, post your comments. Um, yeah, all of the links are available and they will be in the show notes as well. Um, you can go over to hometown.showbot.tv and vote for an article that you might find interesting. Uh, we'll keep it in mind when we're going through the articles and I'll keep it in mind when articles are submitted. Um, we're over at YouTube. There's the podcast. Just search for hometown. You'll find it. And wherever you get your podcast, that's where the podcast exists as well. If you find one where I'm not, or where I, I should say where hometown is not, let me know and it will be there. Um, I'll make it so. And we are now in season two. This is our second year doing the uh, show. It's the first year with uh, the co-host and ever-present artificial intelligence that runs Ohmtown. You want to say bye? Good evening, and we'll see you tomorrow. That's right. Bye-bye, citizens. I'm going to end it. Well, the show. I'll see you tomorrow, 9.30. And so will the artificial intelligence. If they're not already watching you, I'm going to go now. <laughs>